The privilege that's ours this afternoon is certainly a great one that we can assemble in the name of the God of heaven and do so at this particular time at least without fear of harassment or particular persecution for that reason at least. And certainly we're so thankful to the God of heaven for the privilege that we have of worship. At this point, surely we are going to devote some attention tonight to reflecting upon a man who is probably known for one thing, Eutychus, sleeping in church services. Well, let's see a little bit more about, however, what else we might learn from the sacred scriptures concerning this gentleman. And maybe by the time we leave this evening, he'll be known for more than just that. And perhaps he can serve as an encouragement in many ways for your life and mine in the interest of serving our Heavenly Father more faithfully. This opening slide is an introduction. Reminds us of something that probably is a very familiar theme, namely the suggestion of importance attached to the assemblies of the church. And so tonight, as we are assembled on a dark Sunday afternoon, we've chosen, though a bit chilly it might well be, to assemble for the purpose we are, and we consider it not only important, but arguably even essential. It is for that reason tonight we're going to allow Eutychus to teach us some lessons about the character of not only the assemblies, but also a reflection of Acts chapter 20. I hope you'll still be open in your Bible to that chapter as we look at a few lessons from this gentleman from the long past. As we begin that, you may notice about the middle of that slide, some of the things probably that take place concerning worship services may almost become a matter of ritual or at least something that occurs so regularly we may not think much about it. But Eutychus may challenge us to look at that a little bit more carefully. The first observation is to attempt to revisit the biblical record. We would never wish to separate a particular passage from the nature of its context. And so before we look at verse 9 in some more detail, I thought I'd share with you a few moments building up to the occurrence of that particular verse. The New Testament, specifically that book of Acts, is very much a matter that displays details concerning the so-called missionary journeys of Paul. Sometimes they're called evangelistic tours. But starting in Acts chapter 13, we are reminded about the incredible blessing of Paul together with others who journeyed to various places in the Roman Empire, sharing the gospel quite often for the first time in those locales. Surely as you arrive with me at the third missionary journey, which in fact I've asked you to notice, takes up in chapter 18, I've asked you to notice that the movement through that third journey was such that Paul of course left Antioch and came to Ephesus. As he did, that journey was basically on land, but Ephesus was a seaport town, and from there you may recall that he crossed and headed not only to ultimately what would be Troas, but also came to Macedonia. And while there, he made a visit through a number of cities in that locale and then revisited or went back through the earlier path and came back to the city of Troas. It was at that city of Troas that the text that we're about to read took place. May I simply pause at this point and read Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. It says, And after the uproar was ceased, that was the uproar at Ephesus, Paul called unto him the disciples, and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia, 
there's that reference I made a moment ago. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months, and when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So you may notice he originally had plans to make more of a direct course back to this to the area of Syria, but due to the animosity of the Jews, he backtracked through the previous areas in which he had come. Verse 4 now says, And there accompanied him into Asia Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, and of Asia Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even to a break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. And that reading of the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 20 sets before us an interesting scene of events while Paul was again in Troas on the third missionary journey. I've asked you to notice on that slide at least a few initial comments. Here Paul, again, was rather desirous of arriving at Jerusalem, and we learn later in the chapter that it was his keen interest to arrive there by the time of Pentecost. No wonder then he was somewhat hurriedly attempting to move along, and yet when he came to Troas, you may have noticed, he abode there a long time. You may wonder why. And verse 7 quickly gives us the answer. His stay there was apparently such that he would be blessed and privileged to meet with the brethren in Troas who would come together in an assembly to partake of the Lord's Supper. Because you notice in verse number 7 with me, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And thus we readily learn these first century disciples in the city of Troas. They came together, they partook of the Lord's Supper, not unlike what we did earlier today. In addition, you'll notice preaching took place during the course of this assembly. The assembly was rather lengthier than most of ours tends to be. Paul preached till midnight. But you'll notice that even that was at the end of the assembly because in the wee hours of Monday morning, you may remember the later in the chapter... Paul was still, in fact, appreciating some of the efforts of that which was taking place. You'll notice the congregation, in fact, enjoyed some other activities. But all of that reminds us the assembly turned out to be a rather momentous one, wasn't it? In fact, later on in chapter 20, you notice the congregation, separate and apart from worship, they enjoyed a meal together. 
You and I often, before the pandemic at least, would do that here in the back. The service would be concluded. We would adjourn to the back for a time of fellowship, a time of enjoyable characteristic. We find the church in Troas did very much the same thing over 19 centuries ago. Now that by itself is a very encouraging and a very interesting observation. And of course, while Paul was preaching, we've already appreciated that verse 9 will tell us about Eutychus. They were on the third floor, the third story, where this upper chamber was located. And as Paul's sermon perhaps went a bit lengthier than what Eutychus' preferences would have been, Eutychus fell not just into sleep, but it says a deep sleep. And he fell out of the window. And he tumbled to his death three stories below, and the text says he was taken up dead. Now, isn't it interesting that during the course of that, after that given event, here was a disruption of the sermon. And yet, verse number 10 says, Paul, who was the preacher, went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Paul's comments exuded such confidence, exuded such an interesting reflection of the event. And then you notice in verse number 11, Eutychus was restored to life. All of that being said, what might be some of those observations and lessons that might be of some character and benefit for us? First, a little map that at least points out the third missionary journey of Paul. And it does point out at least this. If I could use our pointer, of course, Antioch is here. And as Paul left from Antioch by land, he traveled all the way to Ephesus. Now, Troas was positioned somewhat northward of that location. And from there, Paul crossed the Aegean Sea. And over here was the Macedonian region. But then when Paul backtracked or at least returned through this area, you notice that here there's a departure for he actually went back to Jerusalem by a much more direct route. But our efforts of tonight took place in the church of Christ at Troas in the first century A.D. The first observation I might call to your attention would be this one. Our discussion of Eutychus, again, is no doubt centered around the fact that this young man fell asleep during the course of the services, and perhaps you and I have chuckled at the thought of such an event. Maybe we ought to think about it somewhat differently than that. First of all, lesson number one, the right place. Rather than perhaps calling upon Eutychus as one to remind us of this matter of falling asleep, shouldn't we at least give him credit for having been at the right place? After all, isn't it true, you and I have gathered in the wee hours of the evening, maybe not unlike what he did. Many other matters might have been noted, and many other things could have been part of his efforts of that day. And yet, as the shades of evening had gathered about him, he too gathered. And no doubt, many others would have chosen not to. But he nonetheless did. May I say that that ought to at least remind us the significance of that in which we are now engaged. At least he was in the right place. And have you ever thought of it this way? The fact that he was in the right place agreed he fell asleep. But he heard some of the sermon. And that may well have been the last time he ever was able to in person hear Paul preach. 
For after all, Paul again was not going to be in this territory again for a long time. Have you ever thought of it that way? At least he had the opportunity and he chose to assemble with the brethren in Troas. He chose to do so in such a fashion and way that although it was true, his name will be known for falling asleep. What did he hear in the first few hours of the sermon? Did he hear something that may have changed the course of his life and the course of his eternity? We don't know that. All of that is merely a matter of reminding us, you and I should take it as a very serious matter to lift high the understanding of the assemblies. And when God says not forsaking the assembly, that means you and I consider them not only that which occupies a matter of some consideration, but it occupies a matter of great consideration. Eutychus at least reminds us of that. At least he was there. There are some, not only of that day, but no doubt our own, who choose not to come. That's to their own detriment. And that's a sad reflection on the choice they have, choose, have chosen to make. But isn't it interesting in addition to that? Couldn't it be asked this way? If the second coming of our Lord occurred at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time, on a Sunday, where else would you rather be? Wouldn't you and I prefer to be at a place like this, honoring Him and His cause, His cross, and the nature of, his re of, of the reward that He sets for those that are faithful? Where else would you want to be? You have to at least agree Eutychus was in the right place. Besides all of that, near the bottom of that slide, could I remind each of us, isn't it true from Luke 17? that we're told rather powerfully that when we've done that which was commanded of us, even then, we are still labeled as unprofitable. We've only done what was commanded. We have not gone above and beyond the call of expectation. And so it is that at least with Eutychus, we appreciate he was in the right place. But what else might be noted about him? As far as lesson number two, doesn't this episode also remind us of some particulars and some realities related to worship itself? I say that for the following reason. Put yourself, at least in the imagination of your thinking, back to the day and time in Troas, and here's a young man falls out the window during the sermon. Is that not somewhat of a disruption? Is that not someone of causing the preacher to pause what was being taken care of at the moment, take care of other business, and then continue the sermon somewhat later? Doesn't it remind us there are events and there are moments when, in fact, during the course of a service, there may be some elements of what we might call disruption, or at least things that could be a bit distracting to us. Surely that was true in Eutychus's day, given what happened to him. Let's build some of those points, perhaps in the following way. The record before us, remember the Holy Spirit chose to preserve it. It didn't slide into the biblical narrative by accident. God has preserved for us the record in Troas, and that included not only the man that fell out of the window, but we know his name, Eutychus. He isn't mentioned anymore in the New Testament record, but this one will certainly be enough to remind us of not only what happened, but the gentleman's name for whom it happened. With regard to Eutychus, I've asked you to notice on that slide. Let's face it, the text says he fell asleep. 
We do not know the particulars of his life. Maybe he had worked a 15-hour shift before the time of the services. We do not know. Maybe he had labored all night long in regard to some other particular matter of what his chosen career was. We are not told. It might well be he was taking medicine at the time that prompted drowsiness. It could well be that other particulars of his life were such that he was caring for perhaps an ill father or an ill mother. Obviously, we don't know any of those possibilities for sure. But this much we know, he fell asleep while Paul preached. The time had come that he had sat in that window. Why he chose the window, the text doesn't say. It could well be the room was packed and he, in fact, gave the others who were perhaps elderly or perhaps the ladies present, he gave them his seat. Whatever it was, he chose to sit in the window. I'm sure he didn't intend to fall asleep, but he did. And as he did so, doesn't it remind us that in the course of sermons today or in the course of Bible studies, we shouldn't allow ourselves the excuse, well, Eutychus did it. There are a lot of things that was true in Eutychus's case. The preacher today can't bring you back to life either. But isn't it true that you and I are thus admonished through the Word of God, aren't we? to in fact be engaged in the course of worship. Think about some of these verses that remind us about that. When we give, for example, we're told we, we ought to have purposed in our heart the nature of that gift, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and following, and that we're to do so with a very thankful and a cheerful heart. So even when we give, that ought to be done with a mindset considering that which we're doing. As we sing... I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. To borrow the words of 1 Corinthians 14, 15. And so, even in the course of our singing, our mind should appreciate the words that we actually are mouthing and the sense or understanding that goes with it. What about prayer? We may bow our head to pray, and certainly that's, a, that's commendable, but that's not a time for sleeping or daydreaming, is it? Because after all, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding to borrow the wording of 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Certainly, when we then appreciate the character of the sermon itself, it's our hope that the preacher will have prepared himself and that the message will be indicative of something in which I might be engaged, and that's certainly commendable. Whether he does the most excellent job at that or not, Certainly we'd agree, who better today could there be than Paul? And yet, someone fell asleep in his sermon. And so today, when you and I come, may we have prepared ourselves so that we shall be able as much as possible to be mentally engaged and pour out our heartfelt thanksgiving unto the God who loved us and who made it available for us that we might one day be with Him forever. But surely as we consider all of that, we might well find ourselves in a position of taking medicine or long work hours or other particulars that may in fact encourage in us an element of drowsiness or at least an element of disengagement. Even so, may we not use Eutychus as an excuse. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide maybe one more thing. A statement in Matthew 4.10 that places upon us 
a degree of requirement. Jesus himself said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. God isn't worshipped just by me warming a pew. It is a mental pouring out of that which I am wishing to offer Him through the avenue of these exercises and these acts which He has authorized. And therefore, our worship is so significant. No wonder in that regard, returning to Eutychus, he had fallen asleep, of course, in that particular sermon. And as he fell out of the window, that disrupted it. Today, there might be disruptions in our services. A baby may be crying. A member may become ill and have to, in fact, be taken away or, or, or proceed to the restroom. Maybe you and I have seen that on many occasions. And the effort, again, must be our worship is directed to God. We thus should hopefully allow distractions to take care of them as well as, well as we can and return to a careful deliberation of honoring God through the avenue of worship. You'll notice here, verses 10 and 11 say, Paul went down, fell on Eutychus, embraced him, and then verse number 11, when he was come up again, it would appear they went up and completed that worship service. They went back and finished that which had been begun. They didn't just, in fact, stop it, or they didn't apparently just leave it behind, but rather they completed that which they had begun. Lesson number three has to do with, of course, that which Paul was able to bring to pass through the power of God. Here, Paul, you may observe, went down to him, it seems, with an element of rushing character. The text says, Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him. It is with that in mind. You and I might notice that the God of heaven, through the agency of Paul, restored Eutychus to life. As I said a minute ago, now, you and I cannot do that today. We could rush someone to a hospital. We could rush them to a medical professional. But we cannot miraculously bring them back to life. But isn't that at least an innocent reminder? That the age of miracles again has passed for us. The Word of God putting that before us has so powerfully asserted that the people of that day were blessed with the opportunity and there were those on whom the hands of the apostles had been laid and they were able to transmit this power even. But of course today we are unable to do this. The Bible itself makes that testimony. The age of miracles has passed. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8 and following Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 1 through 4. Mark chapter 16 even, verses 17 through 20. I'll point out that that fact is a matter which you and I have come to appreciate so well. But maybe it is in that regard, did you notice the confidence that Paul had? Here was a young man that fell out of the window. Paul nonetheless could say in verse number 10, "...trouble not yourselves." His life is in him. Now, please notice, here was a gentleman who had fallen from a third story, perhaps 30 feet or so. And as he fell to his death, Paul now simply says to that congregation, to those gathered, don't be alarmed, trouble not yourself, his life is in him. What confidence Paul had in the capability of God the restoration and resurrection possibility concerning bringing this person back to life. 
Now that surely was going to make for a very memorable church service, wasn't it? Can you think about those and the discussion they may have had the next day? Do you know what happened at our church service yesterday? You know Eutychus, don't you? He fell out of the window and died. Paul brought him back to life. I suspect there probably was conversation in the city of Troas that took place on Monday about the nature of what happened at that church service. And maybe someone the following Sunday came to visit. Maybe someone had an interest in learning what happened to here and where's the power that made that possible. I would at least offer this thought. If you'd like to go ahead and look at verse 13, it says, And we went before to ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. Now, how long did Paul journey through these other places that weren't all that far away? And what might be some words that had been shared concerning the events in Troas, at the very least? You and I would have to confess it seems likely that there was much discussion in Troas concerning Eutychus. Lesson number four. Perhaps this is the one that came to your mind first. I purposely saved it to last. Among all things, what is Eutychus, I suppose, until the end of time, what's he going to be known for? The man that fell asleep at church services. And today, you and I perhaps have made fun of, or at least have taken it lightly when someone has dozed off during services, and some wife has to give her husband a good, a good resounding poke to wake him up. But at the very least, couldn't we say this? If Eutychus was known for that, and perhaps again due to his presentation in the Word of God, may I ask it this way for us, what are you and I known for? What is the thing for which others will most quickly turn their mind to think of you and me? Sleeping in church services? Perhaps not. But what else might it be? I've asked you to consider on that slide. The actual name Eutychus literally means fortunate. Isn't it interesting? In that language and in that time, his parents named him a name that carries the sense of being fortunate. I suppose it was that he fell asleep when Paul happened to be there. But otherwise, what about you and me today? Will you and I be known for a commitment to the Lord? Dedication to His cause, faithfulness to the cross, the other circumstances that often perhaps brought inconvenience to us, but nonetheless our commitment to the Lord was unwavering. I would say there are many things in the Bible for which people are known for certain things. Eutychus for falling asleep, perhaps in church services. What about that person of whom we read in the early part of the book of Acts? I've asked you to consider Acts 4.36. What was Barnabas known for? The biblical record has pointed out this to you and me. Of all things that perhaps were part of his life, the thing for which he was perhaps most readily known and remembered is encouragement. Others were encouraged by him. Are others encouraged by me? By you? Or are they discouraged? Do you and I put stumbling blocks before their walk in fidelity and faith? If so, we ought to change that. 
we would far better be preferred to be known as those who encourage, those who motivate, those who provide incentive, those who move in the direction of directness and faithfulness, rather than someone who is the opposite. But not only the son of encouragement, namely, the one we just highlighted as Barnabas. I've asked you to consider Hebrews 11 verse 4. Early on in that chapter, that is the honor roll of faith, we have an interesting observation, and again, one that's known very easily and well. What is Abel known for? We have often, of course, distinguished or at least contrasted him and his brother, Cain, and we know that when it came to worship and when it came to offering unto God, there was a world of difference between them, despite the fact they were physical brothers, and perhaps even the fact it would seem they were twins. But if indeed we could consider that much, isn't it fair to say that Abel's brother, the text says, or rather Abel, his blood still speaks that means today, all these centuries later, the blood of Abel still cries out from the ground and has a timeless message for you and me. A message about the integrity of doing what God said in absolute obedience to His cause. Not trying to substitute anything in worship. Not trying to bring Him what we think He'll accept, but what He has said that He'll accept. And those are very different things, aren't they? Maybe one final one will be John 12, verse number 3. Now, you and I, as the biblical characters walk across the Bible stage, we are so mindful, and often certain things come to our mind. Mary, for example. Isn't it interesting to remember? There are many things Mary did, of course. Jesus had said concerning her in Luke 10 that she's chosen the finer part or she's chosen the better part. But you'll notice here that she took some ointment, some oil, and she broke that alabaster box, poured it on Jesus. And we soon learn how expensive that was. It was very costly. Would you have been willing to take a year's wages Spend it on some ointment or oil that you have had and pour it out on somebody's head and feet? Mary did it. She chose not just some rather cheap perfume. She chose the finest likely that was available, the finest that she had. May I suggest Mary was known for that. What are you and I known for? Do we give God our best? Do we think He'll accept the scraps? Something to think about, isn't it? What are you and I going to be known for when the day comes that you and I are lying in the casket? What's everybody going to be talking about at the funeral? After all, we've all been at enough of them. We know that there's conversation and thoughts and recollections. He or she was always like this. He or she was always known for this every time I ever saw him or her. Sometimes those things are commendable. Sometimes less so. I would suggest Eutychus, at least he was in the right place. And at least he saw the need for worship. And he considered importance connected to it. He did live in the age of miracles. And as far as the thing for which he's known, he's known for falling asleep in services, but I hope we can remember him for more than that. What about you and me tonight? What are they going to remember us for? 
I hope, a faithful Christian. If that can be said, what more do we need? He or she is a faithful Christian. Dying in the Lord, Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. It might be that in this assembly, you or I have been challenged to think about things in a way to revisit some matters in life, to approach things differently, to change the way we do certain things. The Bible calls that repentance. If upon your belief in the gospel, your consideration connected to things the gospel teaches, you'd like to make a change, and at one time a faithful Christian, but as of tonight you're not. Don't you know the Lord would love to have you back faithfully at His side? In fact, He's calling you. Sometimes we sing songs in our songbook about how the Lord calls us. Well, the gospel call of invitation is strong. It is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, to borrow the words of Philippians 3.14. This evening, if we could be of help to you, it'd be our desire to pray to God on your behalf. It'd be our desire to encourage you with smiles and words of strong encouragement. If we could do that, it'd be our lovely privilege. But we need you to let us know how we can help. This song of encouragement has been selected, and we're about to stand and sing the Rock of Ages. He is the Rock of Ages. Jesus is described, of course, as that great pillar, and like the wise man who built his house on the rock in Matthew 7, that could be you and me. Oh, how terrible it is to be like the foolish man that built his house on shifting sands. Tonight, would you like to place your life on the steady and unshakable foundation of the Rock of Ages? We'd be delighted to help you. The invitation is yours. If anyone would wish to come, we encourage you now. All together we stand and sing.